This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Thank Apostle Theo and, and uh, Pastor Bev for the opportunity that they afford me to come and share the word with you and just allow the Lord to impart into your hearts and give you direction and uh, maybe confirmation and um, just bless you and uh, teach you and grow you. That's what the Word does. It's living, right? Say the Word is living. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you as we come before you tonight and we want to learn what we're going to learn, Father, how involved you are in our lives and that you have made a way for us to be able to handle the stresses that uh, uh, we deal with in this life. Father, you give us the capacity to be able to do that. And that's what we're going to be learning tonight is how do we handle these stresses that come our way, Father. And we thank you that even though you may have warned us that there will be tribulation in our lives, but you've also promised us that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Father, I thank you that this word goes forth, it goes forth in power and that people's lives are changed and these principles that are being shared from your word tonight will uh, uh, fall deep in the hearts of every person listening, like seed, because that's what your word is, and it will grow into fruitfulness, even for years to come, in the name of Jesus, amen. So also to those of you online and in uh, the, the various, the mommy's room and the family room, welcome to our service, it's good to have you here. And um, as I said this morning, as I was promoting uh, the, uh, the new series that we're beginning, which is starting tonight, and it's called You Asked For It. And, and the whole reason for this series is because more than 40,000 Christians were surveyed and asked, what is it that you want to hear about out of the Word of God? What are the kind of things that you want to hear God or you want to hear the Bible has to say about certain subjects and maybe areas that you are struggling with in your life? Uh, you know, what does God say about that? And so of the, the more than 40,000 survey results that came back, more than 35% of those Christians said, I'm stressed. How many of you have been stressed before in life? That's what they said, and it's, it's quite astounding to hear how many people that, of that particular survey, but everybody's hand basically went up tonight, my hand included, my other hand, my legs, if I could put all of them up, I would, but then it would become a little ugly. So, uh, but the point is that this message is actually going to be over very quickly because sometimes what you need to do is you take a subject like this and you just reverse it, and by doing that, you see the solution. So talking about I'm stressed, if we take the word stressed and we reverse it, you turn that word around, you'll see that it spells the word desserts. So that's all we need to do. We have to just make sure we have desserts every day and you will be able to handle the stress. So thank you so much for coming tonight. God bless you. Enjoy the desserts. No, that's not really what's going to be happening. Wouldn't it be nice if it were that easy though, hey? especially with desserts. Anyhow, but why are we stressed? What are some of the key factors that causes stress in our lives? And researchers have found that the three key factors is money, family, and work. Those three things are the three main contributors to stress in our lives. And I'd like to, from a South African point of view, if you don't mind, add a fourth one, and I wanna call it environment. 
Because over the last number of years, you don't know if you're going to wake up and the water is going to be coming out the taps or the electricity is going to be coming uh, into the house. We don't know if, uh, you know, when load shedding is told it's going to be two hours, you know, some people's two hours are very different to other people's two hours. And so those kind of things that happen in our environment, and you can throw in, you can throw in inflation, you can throw moral decline, a rhetoric, Pastor Simon will like that, it's my word, Pastor Simon, and that is rhetoric where they keep threatening to do stuff, like they're going to stop the country from operating and so on, I've deemed that rhetoric. So with all of these things going on, of course it's understandable why we are under stress. And that... Um, and perhaps you want to hear a message where I come to you and you say, Paul, just show me how, teach me how it can all just go away. Just take, take my stress away like that song that almost sounds like that. But you need to know up front, and this is something that I have to make abundantly clear, is that God never promised that it would go away. He never said that we're never going to have any sort of stress or, or difficulty in life. But he did promise that you would have the ability to stand up under it. And that's what we're here tonight to hear. That's what we're here tonight to hear, is how to stand up under the stress and the pressure. Another thing that I, I want to uh, do with this message is just, let's just define the word stress. What stress really is, is when there is pressure exerted on an object, and the pressure is more than the object can bear, and the object begins to break under that pressure. That's a good definition of what stress is. Another definition of stress is, we could say it like this, we could say where pressure is greater than the capacity. Say that, where pressure is greater than the capacity. That would be a good way to define what stress is. And so, uh, Johanna, I just want to invite Johanna up here with these little chair so that I can uh, visually show you what I mean by pressure being greater than the capacity of the chair. So we're going to place the chair over here facing the audience like this. And as you can see, this chair is not really designed, before you sit down, Johan, this chair is not really designed for someone like Johan. This is more for like a, a grandchild or a child who weighs maybe a maximum of about 25 kilograms. But certainly I'm not going to give Johan's weight away, but I know because I've spent a number of years in matric that Johan is more than 25 kilograms. And so uh, the idea is that this chair has a purpose, and uh, Johan is now going to be uh, the pressure that is exerted. So Johan, why don't you please just take a seat for us over there in the chair. So as you can see, the uh, pressure that was exerted, no, leave the chair. Thank you so much, Johan. In fact, thank you, Johan. He does his own stunts, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give him a hand. And this is really what our lives look like sometimes, is where the pressure exerted is greater than the capacity of the object, in this case being us. And when that happens, this is the result of that. That's what our lives look like. And I have some bad news for you, but I've also got a lot of good news for you. The bad news is that the pressure is not going to go anywhere. But the good news is that I can give you, out of God's word, a way to increase your capacity. That's what it boils down to. Jesus said in this world that you will have pressure. You will have tribulation is what he said. 
Um, but take courage because I am an overcomer. I have overcome the world and I will help you to overcome in the middle of your stress. And so we give God the glory for that. I'm glad that he, end, he, he put that caveat at the end of that word, right? He didn't just say you're gonna suffer tribulation, but we can take courage. So I'm gonna show you today using two stories, one out of the Old Testament and one out of the New Testament, how God works in that he increases our capacity when the pressure becomes too much. And so the first uh, illustration that I wanna give comes out of the Old Testament, and it has to do with Moses leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt to what is today known as uh, Israel, the promised land. And we know that there were at least three million people that he led out of Egypt. That is a lot of people. I don't think we can actually comprehend what three million people look like together. Anyhow, when they were being led out, God would guide them with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. And when that cloud or that pillar would come to rest at a place and stay there, then the Israelites would have to camp out at that place. I'm sure you've seen the movies and you guys are aware of that. And then at that time when they've camped out, Moses would take it upon himself to be the sole judge of the nation or counselor, and he would sit in all of the people, and you can imagine, I mean, I live in a household of five, can you imagine three million, what sort of issues there are that need to be dealt with, and, and, and um, domestic affairs, and neighborly uh, uh, unhappiness, and all sorts of things like that. They would come to Moses, and he would be there, and he would listen to them, and the cues would go on forever, I'm sure, and his father-in-law, Jethro, took a look at this, and he said, no, my friend, what you're doing is not good. Have a look in Exodus chapter 18, verses 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. He recognized this was too much for this man to take on. Even though God had appointed for him to lead them out of Israel, this that he was trying to do was too heavy for him, and it was too heavy for the people. I'm assuming he couldn't get to everybody. And thus the stress was just building up everywhere. And he goes on and says, you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. You can't do it alone. Now Jethro didn't take his stresses away. Notice that in the word, that's not what he did. But he did give him a solution. He gave him a method that he could implement that would increase his capacity to deal with the stress so that they wouldn't wear themselves out because this is what he was saying to them. And you can read about that after uh, in Exodus further on in, chapter, in verse, uh, chapter 18. You can read about the solution. I don't want to focus on that, but I want us to look at verse 23. And verse 23 starts by saying, if you do this, and I almost want to say that, no, I do want to say that the most important word in the scripture is the word if. He's saying, if you do this. So the choice is yours, of course. If you don't do this, then the following is not going to apply. But if you choose to do this, look what he says, God's going to get involved. He says, God will direct you. How many of you want God to get involved in your situations and increase your capacity to be able to handle the, the pressure? And so he says, um, 
where was I? I was here. God will direct you. You will be able to endure if you do this. And all these people also will go to their place. How? In peace. So God doesn't promise us a lack of trouble, but he does promise you a lot of peace in the middle of it. And that's what I want to talk to you about is I want to show you how to get God's peace so that no matter what comes our way, that peace protects us. Do you know that he says that in his word in Philippians? His peace will protect us. Even though the disciples went through that hectic storm, if they had had peace, they would have made it to the other side. The peace would have just protected them through that storm. So let's look at the second story I've shown you now out of the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. This is taking place in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through to 30. And this is Jesus. And he starts by saying, come to me. He makes an invitation. When you get tired of doing what it is that you are doing, Jesus makes this invitation. And I'm going to give you an invitation through some principles in the Word tonight that you can implement that comes straight from the Prince of Peace himself. But the important thing is that you will have to come to him. It's something we'll have to do. And he says, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, he stops over there, and perhaps some of you know the rest of this verse, but uh, you would imagine that when Jesus says, come to me if you're heavy laden and burdened and I will give you rest, he would continue by saying, come over here, I've got a recliner, put your sit back, put your feet up, I'm going to go and take care of everything for you. You would think that he would say something like that, but he doesn't. In fact, Jesus, he's going to put more on us as he moves through the scripture. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Because you've got the wrong yoke. You may say to me, Paul, what's a yoke? A yoke in those days and still today, I think, somewhere out in the Hamadulas, is a, was a piece of wood with two holes in it that could fit the head of an oxen. And so they would put the head of the oxen through the yoke that would keep them together and there would be two metal rings on either side of that piece of wood screwed into that wood and the, the stirrups or the, the reins would be strapped to that and the, the, the farmer, the person doing the plowing, would then be able to guide the cattle to move in a straight line, keeping them together to plow the land. So that's what a yoke is. It is there to keep something together. The word says in, in 2 Corinthians that we should not be unequally yoked. In other words, we shouldn't be held close together with the unsaved. That's what it says. And so Jesus says he need, we need to take his yoke upon ourselves. Now, how many of you know this portion of Scripture? You can just wave at me. Uh, how many of you have heard this portion of Scripture before? I am very familiar with this portion of Scripture, but I'll tell you what, I've never seen what I'm about to share with you in this portion to enlighten or to explain it in this way to me. Because I always wondered, why would Jesus want to give me his yoke? I thought like I'm free, I don't want a yoke. And I could never understand what he meant by take my yoke because it's light, when a yoke was there to keep things together to move. I couldn't understand what the difference was. But when I looked up this word yoke, when Jesus said, take my yoke, that yoke is different to the other yoke. Also Y-O-K-E. Don't go the egg root on me here. The same thing, okay? 
The yoke of Jesus, the definition or the word for that yoke is different to the yoke that we have, that he's talking about. And this is what the difference is. The difference is that the yoke, um, Jesus' yoke is called a well-managed custom fit yoke. So when he says it's not a macro, one-size-fits-all generic yoke. So this is the difference. If a farmer loved his animals, what he would do is he would summons or he would get a carpenter, and Jesus was a carpenter, so he made many of these. He'd get a carpenter out to come and measure the oxen, to measure the width of their, whatever the, this area is called that would go through the yoke, to measure the curves of the, the oxen, and then they would manufacture a yoke that was custom fit for those oxen. So that uh, uh, when they, they would still do work, you see, we still have things that we need to do. Our stresses are not going to go away because God must just stop everything from happening in our lives. We still have work to do. But with this custom fit yoke, at the end of the day, the oxen won't come up all beat, beated and battered and bruised and bloodied because they were wearing this one size fits all generic yoke but rather they would come at the end of their work day and still feel energized and still be in a good shape because the yoke that has been put upon them has been specifically designed for them to be able to carry without causing any harm. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, take my yoke upon you. Yes, let's give the Lord a hand of praise. And he says, learn from me. Carrying on with the scripture. And he says, and you will find rest for your souls. Notice he doesn't talk about rest for your bodies. You see, rest is not just sitting down all the time. Rest is a condition of the soul. And it is the soul. This is where this peace comes in, where he talks about protecting our minds. His peace, the peace of God, will protect our minds. And he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Praise the Lord. So let me give you five principles for um, not things to go away in our lives, not to make them disappear, but I'm going to give you five principles out of the Word to increase our capacity and for us to have peace. These are the things that are right out of the Word of God, designed by God to show us how we can do this and not end up like that, but still carry on with what He has called us and purposed for us to do. The first one, to increase our capacity, is our capacity increases when we allow our bodies and our minds to recover. Recovery time, folks, family, is when we slow down enough to sharpen our axe. How many of you are familiar with the story of the guy chopping wood and he's just chopping all the time, chopping down trees, chopping down trees, and um, uh, you know, eventually someone comes to him and says, hey, listen, bud, you need to step back a little bit. Take some time to sharpen your axe. And he says, no, I can't do that. I don't have time to sharpen my axe. I've got to chop these trees. Have you heard that illustration before? I mean, how many of us have ever worked a day's work and you haven't left your desk and you have needed to go to the loo for like since the morning? but you've stayed at your desk and you've shifted into every possible position in your chair to get the work done because you believe that you can't even go to the bathroom, you're too busy, there's not even time to do that. Has that happened to anybody before? That's a simple illustration, I think, where we need to go to the bathroom to sharpen our axe, you know what I'm saying? You know what the leading cause of depression is according to the experts, you know what it is? 
It's how we live our lives. That's the leading cause of depression, is how we live our lives. And, and a, a, a gentleman by the name of Johan Hari, who wrote a book called Lost Connections, which is about depression, he makes this quote. He says, we need to talk less about chemical imbalances and more about imbalances in the way we live. Sometimes we bring it upon ourselves because we are not allowing ourselves to recover. We need to make, take time to recover, and the Bible has a principle for that, and it's called the Sabbath. And I'm not talking about a Sunday. Right now, I'm working, folks. There are many of us that are working here on a Sunday. So this is not the kind of day of rest that I'm talking about, but I'm talking about the principle of the Sabbath, where you take time out to allow your body and your mind and your soul to recover. Look what it says here in Exodus 20 verses 9. It says, you have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me, God says. Notice he says a day. He's talking about a day, not specifically a church service, but a day where you allow your body to rest. A day where you take time. Look here. I want, let me just jump to Hebrews 4.9 because maybe someone's saying, yeah, that's Old Testament stuff. Hebrews is in the New Testament, if you were not aware. Chapter 4, verses 9 says, There remains then a Sabbath day for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. So it's talking about taking some time out. And it goes on to say, just as God did from His. He didn't have a church service at the end of creating the world. He took time to rest. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And, uh, and he says, uh, it says, therefore, let us, or let us therefore make, listen, every effort to enter that rest. It's our responsibility to make every effort to enter in that rest. And how do we do that? We decide that we are going to step back. We are on purpose going to, um, as I said, we're going to take recovery time. If you just keep the way that you're going, and I'm, uh, the, uh, the, what I was talking about, the work, some people, they just want to work, 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 and they believe they don't have time to take rest. God's saying, and I'm saying, I'm imploring you. I almost want to say commanding, but I, I can't do that. But I'm saying, you need to take time to recover. Say that. I must take time to recover. Do things that relax you. Take on hobbies and, or just sit down and do nothing. That man cave thing. So just make sure you sit where you can sit. But the point is that we need to be conscious of this and we need to put it into action. We're talking about how uh, the title of this message is The Stress Solution. Okay, and so I'm giving you a solution to deal with the stress in life. And the first biblical principle is that we need to take time to recover. The second one, our capacity increases when we know who we are. You know, so many times in this world, people battle, they doubt who they are. And so they begin to play out narratives in their minds that maybe other people have put there, the devil has put there. I know he's a narrative man, and he loves to put narratives into our minds. Or we ourselves have created something in our head, and, and we keep dwelling on that thing. I, I, recently, I watched a, a, a portion of a documentary on Michael Jackson, and I didn't know this about him, but as a youngster, his father actually was quite disappointed in the way that he looked. And he, his father had an issue with his nose. He said to him, gee, boy, you've got a big nose, man. And he created such a strong complex, uh, uh, you know, um, 
complex, what is it called, Pastor Simon? He had the self-complex about himself that uh, that was part and parcel of why he went through these hectic transformations. And unfortunately and very sadly, it ended up this way, his life. But that was an issue that he brought with him from his childhood. So he had another narrative going on in his mind and he wanted the people to love him. And he believed that he needed to change the way that he looked in order for that to happen. That was one of the areas that was cause of his demise. So we've got to be careful and watch out what it is that we're thinking about. But I'm saying to you that we need to know who we are. A lot of us have peer pressure. What's that? Peer pressure is when we allow others, including the devil, to define who we are. And when we're not secure in knowing who we are, it can cause a lot of stress in our lives because we're continuously comparing ourselves to someone's happy reel on Instagram or Facebook and we look at our lives and think it's so miserable and their life is so perfect and why is theirs perfect and mine isn't and it becomes a makulu issue for you in your life. So we have to stop. Well, let me say this. The chair is successful because the chair knows that it's not a can opener. Now, I know this is not that you think you pull the chair is not successful. No, because it's the pressure exerted on it was greater than it could handle. But the point is the chair knows that it's a chair and its function is to be a chair. And we need to understand who we are if we are to have peace in this life and to be able to stand under the pressure. This is something that uh, the peer pressure, uh, researchers say that um, we are, this, our, our modern day time, we are the most narcissistic and low self-esteem society together at the same time ever. And they say that that's a combination that amplifies the, meg, uh, the mental triggers for anxiety and stress by 100 times. It's all about the way you look. And when you do see a photo of someone on, on photos, wherever, Facebook, Instagram, this gram, that gram, 100 grams, uh, 25 kilograms, when you see that photo in most, you know, sometimes they've had this major fight two minutes before the photo's taken. They're like, honey, let's just, okay, like, like I was saying, this and that and that and that. And we get this whole warped image of what people's lives are about and they look perfect to us and we think that we're the problem. So we have to stop allowing these influences to make us wonder and have this sort of self-wonder complex of who we are, not know who we are. We need to know who we are. You are an overcomer, the Bible says. You are prosperous. You are successful. Everything you put your hand to will be a success. You are God's masterpiece created in His image and in, the and in His likeness. That's who you are, not all this other jazz. As Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So you still have control in that area. I'm not saying that some of the things that you're thinking about is not real. Sometimes there are things that we dwell on because they are real and happening in our lives. But what I am saying is that we are magnifying that by, uh, uh, there's another definition or another word, it's called rumination. That's when a cow chews the cud. Have you ever heard of that word rumination? They take a piece of grass, they chew the grass, they swallow the grass, they bring the grass back up, they chew the grass some more, they swallow the grass, they bring it back up, they chew it some more, and they keep doing that. How many of you know that every time they bring that cud back up, that's what that grass is called, is a cud, it doesn't come up tasting better, it comes up grosser. The same thing with our thoughts. 
So when we begin to meditate on these negative thoughts, and, and as I said, they may be real, but if you just make that the, 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 the spotlight of your life, then it's going to cause stress in your life. Look at what it says here in, in, uh, in Galatians 6 verses 4. It says, each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves. That's talking about a good, godly, biblical pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. You see, the clearer you are about who God says you are, the less stressed you will be. I've got a reminder on my phone. It happens three times a day. My family know I've been doing this for years. I have different reminders depending on what season I'm in. But for now, it comes up three times a day and it says this, see yourself as God sees you. That's been something that I've needed to hear. And so sometimes my alarm goes off and it's far away from me and the kids are like, dad, your alarm. And I say, please just go and switch it off and tell me what it says. And then secretly they read that out as well and sort of uh, it's a double whammy. But anyhow... The point is we need to see ourselves. And here at Christian Family Church, we have groups that you can get involved in. And many groups that you can get involved in. And, and if you don't know where to get involved, may I suggest a freedom group that you could get involved in at first. Where if they could help you uh, uh, gain freedom from um, the voices of your past that are perhaps holding you back. The third one, to increase our capacity or our capacity increases when we know what we are created to do. And you won't know what you're created to do until you know who you are. So you need to get that step done. Then you need to know what you have been created to do, what your purpose is. You know, the happiest people don't have less problems. The difference is that they are clear on what their assignment is and what their purpose is. And that assignment and purpose becomes a distraction to all of the other noise around them in life. So if you know what, what, why you're here, what your purpose is, then that purpose can become your focus. And all the other noise that would ordinarily get you stressed out won't stress you out anymore because you know where you're going. You know what your purpose is. And so that's why you're here week after week. We advertise the growth track. We encourage you to get onto the growth track because there we'll do certain assessments with you. We'll show you who you are and we'll show you what your purpose, what is the purpose that God has created you for. We guide you through that. Um, Paul, you know, Paul, the apostle Paul said this about his life. He said, I'm hard pressed on every side, but it isn't bothering me. He said, they're like mosquito bites. They're just, ugh, it's not really a worry. He says, I have light and momentary troubles. That's not true. He had a terrible life. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. He'd been stoned on a number of occasions, beaten, thrown in prison, accused. There'd been plots set against taking his life. This guy had a heavy, miserable life, if I have to compare it to my own. But he said they were light and momentary. Why could he say something like that? He says because his eyes are fixed on the things that are unseen. He knew what his assignment was. And with his eyes fixed on that assignment, everything else that happened to him, he called them light and momentary. That is another way for us to uh, be able to stand under the pressure and the stress of life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling. You need to make the effort to confirm your calling, the Bible says. And that calling, if you look up that word, it means it's unique to you. Say, I have a unique calling. 
For if you do these things, listen, if you make every effort to confirm your calling, the Bible goes on to say, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Can you imagine a guarantee like that? You'll never stumble if you know what your purpose is. Then you, are no, then you know what you are driven to and everything else around you that ordinarily would get you in a flat spin. They don't matter anymore. We reverse the tables now on the enemy. So I'm encouraging you, make every effort to confirm your calling and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. Your calling has a competitor. And what is that competitor? It's all of the other things that are distracting us in this life. Everything else that is calling for our attention. Every reason and excuse we have why we cannot go and do the growth track. Why we cannot get involved and and try to discover what our purpose is. We're too busy to do that. And if you believe you know what your purpose is and you are feeling like you're constantly exhausted, might I suggest you re-look at that. The Bible says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing the wind. We try to grab a hold of everything. That's the way the culture is in this world. You know, one rand is good, but two rand is better. One car is good, but two cars is better. One child is good, but two children are? (laughs) One wife is good, but two wives are wrong. Don't go that route. The fourth principle out of the Word of God, our capacity increases when we are supported by others. I've already spoken about groups. When the Bible refers to us, the Bible, God has already broken us into groups. Are you aware of that? He talks about us being part of a body. We're not all a finger. We're not all an arm. We're all sort of in a group that together creates the body. When Jesus speaks about the body, His most common explanation of the body, he talks about the flock. There is strength in numbers, folks. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.8, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil or his stress. He was all alone. He was isolated. And all he, he thought, well, I'm going to find happiness in my wealth. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to just keep working and working and working. And then he says, for whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Isolation is another major cause of depression. The Bible goes on to say two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. It says that if you fall, if there are two of you, if you fall, there can be someone else to lift you up. But pity the one who falls and there's no one to help him up. You see, there's still going to be stress in life. We may fall as a result of that, but then there may not be anybody to help us up. So Jesus is saying through his word, get involved in a group. That's really what he's saying. You have to have people around. You say to me, I have people all around me. I'm not talking geographically. I'm talking relationally. Do you want to know what the one, the, the, one of the greatest purpose of groups is? One of the greatest purpose of groups is for you to get to know people, grow close to them to the point where you can trust them and become open with them. And have that kind of support structure where maybe you're opening up about something about yourself and and you're expecting them to say, oh, I can't believe you did that. Where you'll be very surprised to hear, oh, 
Is it you too? I thought it was only me. So you need to get strong relationships. And you'll find that in our group's structure. The secular psychologists and psychiatrists of this world have come up with something called social prescribing. I think it's this new idea. And they say there's two things you need to do. You need to find friends and do something meaningful. (laughs) Does that sound familiar to you? That's church. That's the church. Find friends and do something meaningful. The fourth way, excuse me, the fifth way that uh, that our capacity increases is when God is helping us. People will say, why is God not helping me? Why is he not helping me? He's not there for me. I thought he was my friend. Why is God not helping me? The important thing that we need to understand is that God is not our friend first. He is our Lord first. And unless he is our Lord, or let me put it this way, he is the Prince of Peace, right? The word peace in the Hebrew is the word Tsar, which is where we get Caesar in the Roman and czar from the Russians. It means the one in charge. Not the friend, the one in charge. And shalom is peace, the prince of peace. And the word peace means rest and tranquility. You see, he can't help you until he is in charge first. We can't just run to God when we're in trouble and look for help. He has to be Lord in our lives, first of all, and I have one or two scriptures as I close this message, one or two scriptures to prove that. He's the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Peace, and then He is our friend. In Psalm 4, verses 8, it says, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In Psalm 29, 11, the Lord gives strength to His people. The Lord blesses His people with peace. And in Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our prince has principles. He has numerous principles. And I want to say that most of our stress comes from ignoring God's principles. You say he has a lot of principles. Yes, he does. But let me sum them up into one word and you can write this word down. Here is the word to summarize all of this. It's the word first. He says, but seek in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. If you want peace in your life, if you want an increase in capacity to handle the stress that we cannot avoid in our lives, then we need to make God first in our lives. We look to Him first to see what does He want for me to do. And He says, if you do that, all these other things that you so desire will be given unto you. That is the stress solution. We need to seek after the peace that God brings us and gives us. And we do that by putting him first. Let me say this, peace comes when I put God first, but there's also something else I wanna say is I wanna say Lord and peace always go together. We cannot have one without the other. Lord and peace always go together. When we make him our Lord, he will give us our peace. In the name of Jesus. And I want to say tonight, you're demonstrating that you're putting God first. You're not just in a church service, but this is an expression of you to God 
that he gets the first part of your week. The tithes earlier on tonight, the message, he gets the first part of our income. We're making him first. We're seeking him first. And he guarantees that all these things will be given to us. How many of you are blessed by the message tonight? God ministered to your heart tonight. I believe the Lord has laid it on my heart to pray for people who are not just going through stress, but more specifically, people that are using certain medications to help them cope and have a desire to be weaned off of that. Some medications you can't just switch off. But if you're here tonight and you are taking whatever kind of medication it may be that is, that the reason why you're using this medication is because of stress. And you want to be free of that. You're, you're, you're saying, you know what? I don't want to live on this stuff for the rest of my life. I want you to help me, Lord, to come off of this. I believe that that's what the Lord wants me to pray for. So if there's anybody here tonight that has that issue, I'm gonna ask you to stand right now. I believe the Lord is gonna touch you. If there's anybody here who is using it's nothing to be ashamed of. When my, when my first wife died, man, while she was dying, I needed to get onto uh, antidepressants. Otherwise, I was going to die. I promise you that's where I was going. So, um, you know, if there's anyone else, you can stand. And I believe that the Lord is going to touch you tonight and that uh, you either will be delivered or that they, you, you will be weaned off of that. Can I just talk to the smokers as well here tonight? Smoke is something that we do as a result of stress. In fact, as a smoker, when you stress more, you smoke more. Isn't that true? As a former smoker, it's true. I know, because I used to. One pack became two packs because there was this major problem that I was facing. So if you want to get weaned off of smoking or delivered from smoking, then I want to include you in this prayer. If there's anybody who's, who's saying, yes, I want to kick this habit, man. But um, I'm finding it very difficult. In fact, it stresses me out when I try to stop Let me pray with you tonight. I believe the Lord is going to deliver you. Even alcoholism. Whatever it is, substance abuse, I don't care what it is, but anything that you're taking to try to relieve the stress in your life, to try to prevent this from happening, you're using medication, I wanna pray with you. I believe whoever needs to be touched is standing right now. So I'm gonna just pray with you and I trust God is gonna just do a wonderful work in your life right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I lift up every single person that is standing in this auditorium tonight. Father, they want to be set free from, from medication that they're using as a result of stress in their lives. And they're, they're leaning on that. And, and, and Father, I'm talking about weaning. And I believe that was the word that you put in my heart was to wean them off. As they build their faith in you and put these principles into practice, Father, I thank you at the same time that you are just guiding them through this process. And, and even if it involves their doctor, I thank you, Father, that they will go and see their doctor and, and explain their desire. And so tonight, in the name of Jesus, I speak to every single person that is standing, and I declare in the name of Jesus Christ that you are free from whatever it is that you believe you need to lean on in order to make it under the pressures of this life. In the name of Jesus Christ, I believe that God gives you a plan to wean yourself off of this medication. In Jesus' name, for those smokers, I declare you are delivered right now in the name of Jesus Christ. That next Stuyvesant is going to taste like poofy when you put it in your mouth in the name of Jesus. You're not going to want it anymore. I believe God has set you free. 
I believe God has set you free. And if you believe that, you, that God has touched you tonight, just wave at me, folks. If you believe that God has done something for you tonight, just wave at me. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God for His wonderful delivering power. You expect that, okay? You expect that to happen in your lives. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor, Father. Thank you for loving us so much. He loves you very much, you know, more than you can fathom. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. The first step in the solution to stress is to know Jesus, is to make Him Lord of your life. And if you're here tonight and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, then that opportunity is coming to you right now. If you're sitting here tonight and you don't know, if you're not sure, is he my Lord or not? Then I want to include you in this prayer. If you're sitting here tonight and you know that you have to come back to God, you know that your relationship with God has grown distant and you need to, you need to correct that. You need to come back to the Lord then I want to include you in this prayer as well. If you, if you were to die tonight, this is a question we always ask because death is inevitable. If you were to die tonight and you don't know for sure that you would spend eternity in heaven, then folks, I need to include you in this prayer. And I'm gonna ask you at the count of three to raise your hand. If you wanna make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you wanna come back to God, restore your relationship with Him, or if you wanna be sure that you will spend eternity in heaven, then at the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three, raise your hand right now. I'd love to pray with you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. This is what I'm gonna say to you. Don't leave this building not sure of your salvation, folks. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. That is the most important thing. If there's anyone else you can raise your hand right now, I'm gonna ask a leader of the church to come, a dream team, to come and stand behind you just to place their hand gently on your shoulder just as a form of encouragement. And, and I'm gonna ask everybody in the, in the auditorium to repeat this prayer after me. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're about to do that, right? I'm gonna ask everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Let's say this. Say, dear heavenly Father, Tonight, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place so that I don't have to. All I have to do is accept your free gift of salvation. And right now, that's exactly what I'm doing. I accept your gift of salvation. I believe Jesus is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. I make you Lord of my life. Thank you, Father, for loving me so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, come on, family. Let's give every one of those a wonderful congratulations for that wonderful decision that you've just made. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. 
If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.